Welcome to the All In Your Head podcast, where we get all in your head. We are a mental health podcast focused on anything and everything mental health. We will have special guests ranging from mental health experts, mental health advocates, and just everyday people with real struggles. We will share laughs, we will share cries, but most importantly, we will have real conversations about mental health. So with that being said, let's get all in your head. Woohoo! I made a note. I was like, it's just a chill conversation. So just we're a chill be, conversation. Just a chill conversation. We're gonna be great. I, I like that. We're like two bros uh, at the brewery just having a beer. You know, this conversation um is relevant for two bros at a at a pub having a beer. <laughs> this is the kind of thing I hope men start talking about. Yeah. So let's let's get into it. Obviously, we yeah. want you to introduce yourself. So sure. start off and just introduce yourself to our listeners. Okay, my name is Eric Fitzmedrud. I have a PhD in clinical psychology. I'm a licensed psychologist in the state of California, and I have a private practice specialized in sex and relationship issues. In particular, I help a lot of men with sexual issues and managing the intensity of men's sexual desire. Yeah, that's very good. And I'm going to call you Dr. Eric because I think that's a cool name. All right. And I took a look at your title of your book. And you reached out to me a couple of times uh, to do this podcast. As I mentioned, I was kind of taking a break and uh, I think my break is close to being over, um, but your book caught my attention and I'll tell you why and you can probably guess, but uh, it's called The Better Man, which, okay, everybody wants to be a better man, a guide to consent. Okay. Consent's important, stronger relationships. We all want stronger relationships. And then you threw a little twist at the end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and at the end of your book, hotter sex, and so uh, that caught my attention. Oh, uh, good! Is I've been married for 16 years, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, a hotter sex is something I think that we all uh, desire, especially uh, after 16 years of marriage. And so, we'll, we'll get into that in a second. But first, can you tell me just your history and your story, and what yeah. got you to this point? So. I think there are a couple of things. One, my own personal development is a significant aspect. I mean, I have, um, I'm inherently kind of a high desire person relative to my wife of 23 years. I'm a higher desire generally. And so we've gone through different waves across the arc of our long-term relationship. Um, Some of the experiences that I've had, I'm not proud of. I've cheated a couple of times. I write about that in the book. And I've had to figure out how can I integrate this nature that I have of being a high desire person in a way that allows me to also live up to my own values, my own ethics, and to treat my partner the way that I want to. And that makes me feel good about myself. And so, you know, long before I had the idea of a book, I have been trying to do this work myself. And I've been talking with my close friends and a men's group that I was in for a number of years to try to integrate this. And then when the Me Too movement hit in 2017, I was like, okay, wait a minute. I see this stuff not at the predatory level, but pressure from high desire partners, you know, insistence, you know, men 
uh, initiating and eventually collapsing into um, apathy, no longer initiating and damaging their relationships. And I was like, I got to find a way to write about this. And there was a certain story that kind of capitalized it. I was like, okay, now that this is a story that isn't about somebody who's being a predator, I can see the connection to the stories in my office. I think I can start writing about this. And it took a long time, but because uh, it's a topic that required a lot of care and attention. Ooh. Look, being in the behavior health space, I know how frustrating it can be to not know the current status of your insurance reimbursements or even how much you will get reimbursed. Illuminate Billing Advocates is championing better behavior health billing through their tools like their dashboard that provide full transparency into your claim cycle. Check out more at illuminatebilling.com. Yeah, I could see that, um, you know, especially as you're talking about consent and, um, you know, in, in today's day and age. And so, you know, let's kind of get into a little bit of what you found, um, you know, <laughs> whatever order that you want, you know, obviously we want to yeah. get to the, the hotter sex part, but, um, you know, pull off from your book, just what you think is really important for our listeners to know. Yeah. I mean, what I'm taking is when we have consent conversations, often the conversation is here's what to say in order to have a consent conversation. Mm -hmm. And in my therapy practice, when I'm experiencing people who are having issues with it, where they're causing pressure or falling apart emotionally, and there's a lot more required than just a script. Yeah. And so the approach that I developed as a therapist is what I put into the book, a developmental process from recognizing the pain at wanting to deliver your love, wanting to deliver your desire, wanting to create an intense experience, but not being able to. And then why can't you? How, where did that go wrong? What haven't you been taught about your desire to understand it, to manage it? And what do you need in order to manage all of your emotions and a healthy, balanced life so that by the time you get into, you know, a consent conversation on the couch, in the car, you know, in the living room, wherever that's happening, long before you still even get into the bedroom, mm -hmm. you've got a greater level of internal balance that you can bring to that conversation so that you can carry it into monitoring consent in the bedroom so that after you leave the bedroom, you can receive whatever feedback you get to create more pleasure for your partner and in order to ask for and receive more pleasure for yourself. So that's where the hotter sex part comes in. It's about developing the capacity to get there because we all want it. Yeah. You know, you talked about consent and when most people think of consent, they think about relationships early on in their sure development and there may be folks who are thinking to themselves well i'm in a committed relationship or i've been in a committed relationship for a long time this doesn't apply to me yeah. does it also apply to those folks it does and you know i want to acknowledge the reality of that i've got an exp uh, part of my book where i refer to a cartoon about this and the cartoon is from everyday feminism and they use an analogy called the consent castle the idea is that relationships are kind of like a construction zone so early on we got the yellow hard hat and the safety vest and all the safety gear on all the parts of the construction site we're not supposed to walk on and that's like the consent process early in a relationship and eventually we get that relationship built. We've got the repertoire of our sexual behavior with our partner. Kind of know what I'm going to do. We kind of know what you're going to do. We kind of know what you're open to most of the time. We kind of know what you're not. 
And that's the house that's built. The construction zone is gone. The hard hats are off. We can sometimes get into improvisational jazz inside of that well-trodden repertoire. We know how to transition from one thing to the next comfortably with each other. So I don't have this idea that every conversation is going to be a full-blown consent process. But the analogy from the consent castle is if you want to add an addition, you want to bring something new to spice things up in the bedroom, yeah. right? You're knocking down walls. You're right. adding it on. You're, you've got to go back to putting the hard hat and the safety vest and the safety gear on. you got to go back to those consent conversations you've built earlier. And even in long-term relationships, just like you were talking about, right? 16 years in, I'm 23 years in. Relationships go through these ebbs and flows. So there are times when we can get into not just consent conversations like, what are we going to do? But why aren't we doing anything? Mm. That's a consent conversation too. Yeah. Or why haven't you been interested? Why, have, why haven't the things that we've been doing seem to be bringing you the same kind of pleasure? And those things all require a, a kind of consent conversation too. So that we're not creating emotional pressure for our partners around like, you know, huffing around, like, why don't you, you're never investing in it. This is important mm -hmm. to me. Why don't you pay attention to it? That's pressure and pressure isn't a consent process. Yeah. You know, I'm finishing my basement right now, uh, which is yeah. an add on, right? Yeah. And I, and I had to get a permit, right? Yeah. You kind of yeah. have to go through the process all over again and make sure everything's to code. Uh, right. So I really appreciate that analogy. I'm a visual person. And so I appreciate that analogy. And that makes a lot of sense to me. What else would you say to folks in regards to this? So the big thing that I hope people take away from hearing me and from reading my book is to remember that consent is the foundation of pleasure. That we're building the capacities to have the most intense sexuality by a consent conversation. You know, how do we go through receiving a little bit of permission to connect physically, mm -hmm. but then also the feedback afterwards, what worked and what didn't work for you? What was the best part of that? What really curled your toes? How, how could I do that again? Not yeah. just by knowing that it curled your toes, but by learning about why it curled your toes. Okay. So it's not just that I pushed this button that way. Mm -hmm. It's about the fact that we spent the day together and it's about yeah. the fact that you didn't have work tomorrow. And it's about all of the things that go around it. And when I learn about that with you, I can learn how to give you more pleasure, more often, more consistently, because I understand the landscape of your sexuality. And I also have the ability to get vulnerable with you. Mm -hmm. Here's what really knocks my socks off. And I'd love to introduce that if you're ready. And if I've built up a consent-based process where my partner knows I'm never going to push something, I'm never going to tell you to do something you don't want to do, then we create the room for curiosity. When I introduce this new idea that maybe is surprising or novel, or maybe you're not interested in it first... We have this consent and we have this trust that's built up to say then where the partner has the capacity to be curious about it and to think, well, I guess we could try it because in one way or another, I know I'm going to be safe with you in that process. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You know, I'm a guy that's been married for a long time. I hang out with a lot of other guys that have been married for a long time. And we, you know, we have a few beers and we joke around and we give our partners a hard time. And, you know, one of the things that we oftentimes give them a hard time about is that, you know, they're never interested in having sex. And, you know, we joke about it, but 
I think for a lot of guys, and I've been here too, I think that there's a fear of rejection. And so sometimes we don't initiate sex because we've we've been rejected for whatever reason, you know, people tired or, you know, it's been a long day. I've been dealing with the kids and, you know, we get rejected. And, you know, I think a lot of men, including myself, I think a lot of guys are very sensitive and they have this hard exterior, but when they get rejected, it hits them pretty hard. How would you, how, you know, someone came to you in your practice or maybe your, your book addresses it too. How yeah. would you facilitate a conversation around that? Well, I'm really glad you asked about this because it is one of the big parts of points of pain that a lot of men experience. Mm-hmm. And I love talking about this. So there are a couple of different things. So first, in the background, if you've built a vibrant life, just like you were talking about, right? You have other people in your life, other community members around you, you have work that's meaningful or volunteering that's meaningful or a community, whether it's church or some other kind of organization, then you've got this nice landing pad to go back to when your partner says no, to remember I'm a person of value. I contribute things to my community. And this no doesn't bear on my worth as a human being. That's why I'm talking about this developmental approach, right? Because it's not just what happens in that no, it's how we build our capacity to receive it. The next big thing is what does no mean? And we men use this word a lot about rejection and we feel rejected. I've been there just like you have. I've been in that high desire position where I'm getting turned down regularly. And at first I go through the, well, if I'm getting turned down regularly, maybe if I ask more often, then maybe Mm -hmm. I'll get yes more often. And then eventually I burn even that out and I get into the place of not asking anymore. And I know that pain inside. And the thing that I really invite men to realize is When you feel rejected, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're getting rejected. Mm. You're feeling rejected because you pinned a lot of your worth and your sense of value onto your partner's yes. What you need to do is find out what is your partner saying no to? Are they saying no to what you asked for or what you asked to do? Are they saying no to how you ask because they like to receive a little bit more of a slow buildup process of simmering for days or weeks while they feel your constant attention and connection with them so that by the time, what's that? That's a lot of work. (laughs) It is. It's a lot of work. (laughs) Yeah, it's a lot of work, right? So that's another part of this. It's not just that landing pad of self-confidence, but it's also where are we going to get the energy to initiate like that? Where are we going to create the energy to sustain that kind of attention? And I think there's also an element of where is our partner going to take some responsibility for making sure that they're creating room for that in their life. But that's also something we can't force on them. We can invite them to we can say, hey, it seems like you don't leave space for this part of our life together. I'm sad about that. I'm disappointed. I'd like that. How do we get to it? Is there anything I can do to support you? But it's a real issue. The labor is no joke (laughs) in a long-term relationship for sure. Yeah. and, and And I joke, but it's so funny because it's portrayed in media as well in movies. And you watch the movies where you have middle-aged folks and they're getting ready for bed and they're going through the whole process of putting their retainers on and their oxygen masks or whatever it is. And then they lay down in bed and they kind of give each other just a quick peck. And then they turn to their side of the beds, you know, and typically, you know, the, 
the stereotype is at that point in your life, you just have a really big bed. Because every time I see this happen in a movie, just a really big bed, it's like a king size bed. And then there's retreat to their different size, sides of the bed. And I think, you know, since that's portrayed in media, I think that it's almost like an acceptance of, hey, like this is just what happens when you've been in a long-term committed relationship where you just don't have sex very often and just kind of deal with it. And that's why in my practice and to a degree in my book, I talk about some of these tools, right? In long-term relationships, it's important that we preserve the space and time to connect. And I like to be very clear. I don't use euphemisms very often. So when I mean connect, I mean connect emotionally and relationally, not just sexually. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it is also helpful to create the space and time when a sexual connection could happen. So for a lot of people, you know, there used to be the old tradition when I was growing up of like Saturday morning cartoons and the parents are going to sleep <laughs> in until 11. And as a kid, we thought, hey, I'm going to pour the cereal. I get to, you know, sit and watch my cartoons for hours. Now that you say that, I had Saturday morning cartoons too growing up. Right. I'm My mind is totally blown right now and I'm mildly disgusted at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> Well, now, because broadcast TV isn't as much of a thing, we need these rituals in family life that preserve that capacity. We need a lock on the parents' door, right? We need the capacity to say, this is our time. And we still need to not bring pressure or expectation about what's going to happen then. And we still need to uh, utilize that opportunity to connect, to talk, to be together physically and intimately, even if it isn't sexual intimacy. Yeah, I think that's really important. You know, I was looking at the order of your book, and I don't know if that was on purpose. I'm assuming it was, but you talk about consent first and then stronger relationships and higher sex. And I think we've talked uh, in depth about consent. When you say stronger relationships, obviously that's probably just a, a big meaty part of your book. But if you were to summarize that section, what do you cover in that section? So when I'm talking about stronger relationships, I'm talking about the internal emotional self-regulation so that you can calm your anger, so that you can be emotionally vulnerable without falling apart if your partner isn't able to receive it. I'm talking eventually about the skills to have empathy for your partner's experience so that when your partner says, I'm sad, I feel alone, I feel hurt, I feel you're like you're not with me. And in the back of your mind, you're going, what do you mean you don't feel connected? Here are all the 19 different things I do for yeah. you every day because I love you. Right. Instead of having that kind of defensive reaction, if you can take a deep breath, If you can listen to what your partner is saying and have empathy and believe them that they're telling you the truth about their experience, then you can learn what they're saying and why they're saying it, what their expectations are. Some of that you might be able to validate and connect to and change. And some of it you might be, you might need to be empathetic about and compassionate about, but you also might need to say, hey, I hear you asking me for things to take care of you that I think you need to take care of for yourself because here are the 19 things that I've been trying to do to fill that bucket for you, but it doesn't seem to be filling it. And learning to set those boundaries with kindness and compassion, that brings people together. Yeah, sometimes as men, we need to put our egos aside because I think that's what shows up is our ego and that's those initial responses as of defensiveness sometimes of like, 
you know, Hey, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. And we, we feel insecure. And then, you know, we respond to that insecurity. Yeah. I think you're right that sometimes it's ego. I also think it's just our loving heart. Like, mm. you know, I really have put in a lot yeah, of work. I really true. have been doing, why isn't it working for you? And I think that's a big part of men's pain and relationship is, is, that we do sacrifice ourselves we do invest we do make efforts but we're not always skillful in those efforts because yeah. of romantic myths sexual myths that tell us that doing certain things is going to make us successful but yeah. then we didn't bother to check in with our partner about whether it was making us successful and so there's a little bit of ego there there's also a little bit of training that we need to challenge inside of ourselves yeah, I'm glad you reframed that because you're right. There's a lot of men out there with a loving heart that they're doing what they know. Yeah. And it's just not connecting. They're not getting the return on their investment. I talk a, a lot about that in my work as well. You know, if you're going to be putting the effort in, let's make it very intentional so that you do get that return on your investment. Absolutely. So that means re recognizing that, you know, no pickup artist or, you know, men's intimacy coach or whatever he's calling himself who says <laughs> women are like this or your partner needs this from you or this is what you have to do to be a man. Those boxes don't fit most people. And we can easily start, you know, trying to push the buttons in the right way, thinking that's going to work for my partner or that's going to work and fit for me. And then we find it doesn't feel authentic. It doesn't feel natural. It doesn't actually meet your partner's needs. we got to find out what's real and present in this relationship. Yeah. I don't know if you talk about the love languages at all in your work. Uh, I do. And one yeah. of the love languages is acts of service. And I work with a lot of men. And it seems like uh, lately, maybe it's not lately, but it seems like lately, yeah. When I talk to men about their partner's love language, it, it seems to be always acts of service. And we all we all like are like, oh, why can't it be physical touch? It's, you know, but it seems like lately, like, you know, in the work that I do and I work with a lot of, you know, middle aged men, yeah. uh, it seems, though, at least the partner reports that their biggest love language is acts of service. Well, I think we're back to one of those things you said earlier, which is relationships are a lot of work. Yeah. And especially in a long-term relationship, especially if you've got a two-partner, two-parent household, you've got kids, there's a lot of stuff to manage yeah. in that process. The, the pickups, the drops-offs, the doctor's appointments, the grocery orders, the food preparation, the bedtime routine. And if one partner's picking up all of the slack, that's probably going to decrease energy and the capacity for desire. Yeah, very well put. So- we talked about consent. We talked about stronger relationships. Can we talk about hunter sex now? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, one of the things that I do in my book is I try to celebrate men's intense desire. Not every man, but look, a lot of men have creativity. A lot of men have exposure to erotic material online. Mm -hmm. A lot of men have had prior partners. And so we can have creativity, novelty seeking, um, an intense repertoire of things that we would love to be able to do. And figuring out how to talk with our partner about that without trying to stamp the script from, you know, that porn video we watched onto our partner, but to remember instead, actually the video didn't show consent. 
The video didn't show preparation. <laughs> the video didn't didn't show cleanup. Right. The, the video didn't show the adjustments in all the positions that needed to happen in right. between to make that process possible. And so when I'm talking about hotter sex, I'm talking about knowing what you desire, not judging it and not shaming it so that you can know, hey, a thought in your head, a fantasy is exactly and only that. That doesn't mm -hmm. mean that every fantasy you want to enact, but sometimes you might want to try something out. Now we're in the consent conversation. How are you going to talk to your partner about that? How are you going to introduce that? How are you going to invite the exploration of that? Because if you're going to try like a new position, Mm -hmm. that's very much like learning how to ride a bicycle. It's, mm -hmm. you know, where are you going to put the elbows and the knees the first time you try that? Yeah. And it's going to be awkward and it's not going to ring the bell right away for you or your partner. But if you can get into the playfulness, if you can get into the safety emotionally and relationally so that the two of you can collapse into a heap and go, ha ah, ha ha, that wasn't, <laughs> you know, that didn't work, right. but it was kind of hot for a minute there. Right. You know, thank you so much for trying. I really appreciate it. Do you think we could ever try that again? Yeah. You know, there's a practice to the process instead of these romantic or sexual myths that if we love each other, it's just going to work. It doesn't. Yeah, yeah this is really good. And so I like to leave my listeners with some very tangible uh, skills, steps, um, things that they can take away from conversations. And so, you know, thinking about your work and thinking about your practice, and you've given us a lot of great insight. What are a few other things that uh, maybe pitfalls or uh, things that you've seen work for people that can go a long way? Yeah. So there are a couple of key things that I could recommend really quickly. Number one, if you're struggling in your relationship and you would like to improve the sexual intimacy, then the number one thing I'd recommend that you do is ask for a conversation about that with your partner outside of the home at, you know, a coffee shop in a mm -hmm. quiet corner, right? Yeah. On a walk, um, while you're driving in the car, separating out that we're going to have this conversation at a time when we know this isn't going to turn into something in the bedroom tonight. Yeah. And the next thing is once you get into that conversation, get curious and do as little telling as possible. What's going on for you? How do you feel about it? Do you miss it? Um, what would work for you? Those kinds of curious questions are going to empower you so much more than coming in with what's not working for you, what needs to happen, any kind of ultimatum or something like that. Yeah, that's really good. Really good feedback and really good advice. I like especially how you said do it outside of the home Yeah, because I think that a lot of those conversations happen sometimes even after failed attempts. You know, you're sitting in the bed, you're feeling awkward and you initiate a conversation of, Hey, this didn't work. You know, what did I, what, you know, almost like the, uh, you know, watching film on Mondays after a, fo a football game, like, you know, let's do play by play. What, what do you do? Right. What do you do wrong? What can we do differently? But there's mm -hmm. already that feeling of maybe insecurity, uh, right. you know, maybe even rejection. And that's probably not the best time to be having those conversations. And then that brings me to the second kind of tip that I want to give, which is remember your desire is a gift. And most likely your partner got together with you because there was a time in your relationship where they appreciated that gift. They really enjoyed it. Yeah. 
And if you can remember that the consent conversation is not about you trying to get what you want from your partner, a consent conversation is about you trying to deliver your gift to your partner, then that just reorients the whole emotional tone of the conversation. I would like to love you. I still find you attractive. I miss you. I would love to connect to you that way we used to do. Yeah. How can we do that? That warmth, that intensity, that attention, that's going to open up the conversation in a totally different way than why don't we, why aren't you, you don't seem to be, all those kinds of accusations and close it down very quickly. Yeah. Dr. Eric, this has all been really good information. For some people, maybe just a tease, no pun intended. And so if they want to find out more about you, about your book, how would they find that out? So you can find my website at drericfitz.com, D-R-E-R-I-C-F-I-T-Z.com. If you're looking for me on social media, you can find me at Dr. Eric Fitz. And my book is available everywhere books are sold uh, as of September 19th. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you for being on the podcast. I'm going to go take my wife for a walk tonight and have a conversation. (laughs) (laughs) All right. It was helpful. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for your time. and, And I look forward to checking out your book. Thanks for having me. It's been a real pleasure to have the conversation. You have just listened to the All In Your Head podcast. Learn more by following Jamie Glick on LinkedIn or by subscribing to the Mental Health Training Camp YouTube channel. If you are experiencing a mental health crisis, you can call now or text 988 to get connected to free confidential support. Thanks for listening.